Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where I bring in guests to talk about the games that I've played recently. I am joined today by Aaron Angle. What's happening? And I'm also joined today by Ryan Delaney. Hey, what's going on? And today's game is Ghost of Tsushima, which is an open-world action game set on the Japanese island of Tsushima during the first Mongol invasion in 1274, developed by Sucker Punch Productions and published by Sony for PlayStation 4 in 2020, with a PS5 update director's cut released in 2021. Before we get into talking about Ghost of Tsushima, let's talk a little bit about what we've been playing recently. Uh, Ryan, you're our uh, new guest, so why don't you tell us what you've been playing recently? Uh, I'm always all over the place. I can never stay really focused on one game. That's what made Ghost of Tsushima so special for me. But uh, these days, play a lot of RimWorld. I love RimWorld a lot. Uh, RimWorld's a great game. It's, uh, it's so unique in a lot of ways. I recently got back into Dead Space 2. I played it back in like 2013. It's an amazing game, one of the best survival horror games. Uh, it's a lot more action-packed than the first one, a lot less scary, but uh, yeah, Dead Space 2 is amazing. It's good for the season. I played through another Retroid 2 remake, AM2R, and that was really incredible. Uh, best fan game I've ever played in my life. And I've uh, been slowly pacing through Ratchet & Clank, trying to make it through. Is that the PS5 Ratchet and Clank? Yeah, that's right. Uh, the Rift Apart or a Rift Apart or whatever it's called. Um, it's good. It's just, uh, like I said before, I have problems just focusing on one game. I'm just always just a different game every day, and I just slowly make it through each one. Um, I'm looking forward to playing that Kena game and Deathloop oh, whenever yeah. it goes on sale. Kena looks really, really cool. Are you talking about that Spirit Awakens? That game looks really neat, dude. Yeah, Bridge of Spirits, I think it's called. Yeah. Kena Bridge of Spirits. Yes, <laughs> that <Yeah>. one. <laughs> looks absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it looks great. It's been getting good reviews. I uh, read some reviewers said that it's the uh, 35th uh, Zelda anniversary that we deserved. So Big <laughs> yeah, Zelda fan. Instead of, instead of the Skyward Sword remaster. Yeah, instead of that did. garbage, whatever that was. Right. Yeah, this episode will be uh, coming out a little while after Kina releases, so we'll we'll see uh, what the consensus is on it. But so far, reviews seem pretty positive. Yeah, it's got like a eighty-five on Open Critic, Metacritic. So cool, I mean, cool. That's, that's promising. Nice. Um, and you're playing Dead Space. They're they're remaking that, right? Or they're right. remaking the first one. Yeah, and that's kind of uh, what inspired me to go back to this. I played Dead Space 1 probably about four years ago uh, because I'd never played it. I played the second one, but I'd never gotten to the first one. Or I played the, I'd never gotten to the first one before, so I played the first one. I'm replaying the second one. Oh, man, those games are so good. I don't know if... Uh, Dave, you don't like jump scares, but uh, that's I pretty... I do not. That's pretty <laughs> much... It, it kind of desensitizes you to jump scares because that's kind of the natural enemies coming for you. Instead of enemies coming from from the distance towards you, it's just jump scare after jump scare after jump scare. But uh, it really desensitizes to them to you after a while. Uh, you get pretty. Uh, it's pretty normal. It's just the normal approach for enemies to come at you is to just jump out of walls or ceilings. Uh, That's that sounds so awful to me. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like I'm gonna break a controller on accident. The second one's not so bad. The second one's more action-paced. If you guys ever played uh, Resident Evil 4, it's more comparable to that than uh, like you know an older Resident Evil where it's uh, you know the looming uh, sense of dread 
this one's way more action paced. There's so many cool action scenes where you know uh, the windows will explode. You got some explosive decompression pulling you out. You got to shoot a switch real fast. Uh, the mechanics for killing the enemies is amazing. Uh, you you have to shoot off their limbs. Oh right, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. It's just a badass game. You just you got this cool suit, running around shooting your little plasma cutter. Uh, the main, the character is awesome. The story is really cool. Uh, it's about like this cult that creates this this marker, and it kind of uh, summons aliens. It's a it's a super cool game. I highly recommend it. But I can understand if you don't like uh scary scary games that uh probably not for you. Yeah, but it does sound like if I'm ever gonna like do like basically just like fear factor, like kind of break my fear of jump scares by just experiencing a thousand jump scares i should probably just play that yeah absolutely (laughs) absolutely it's perfect for that it's perfect uh literally um the normal way enemies approach you is to just jump through walls and uh yeah it'll definitely break you of your fear of jump scares for sure it's weird uh... it's weird how like i love dark souls and bloodborne and those games and enemies constantly break through doors and stuff and surprise you and that kind of jump scare never like you know freaks me out but in other games it's like unbearable the threat of a jump scare for me so right sure. right and we've talked about this before but i don't really understand i, I never really got that about uh no. why you don't like you like dark souls you uh you like bioshock right yeah uh and those games have their share of jump scares uh what's another one that you played uh what was it the uh underwater the oh soma Soma, Soma, right, right. Soma's full of those uh, little jumps. Soma had, uh, Soma didn't actually have jump scares, and they turned on. I, I played on like the safe mode where the enemies can't hurt you, so that took away part of it. I think. Uh, well, maybe just like crank that difficulty all the way down. Try to play a scary game. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> true. I mean, if there's no fear of uh, getting killed. You know. We're recording this in September, and it'll it'll release in October sometime, I think. But I'll be playing some kind of spooky games in October on low difficulties to see if that helps. So yeah, right, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, Aaron, what have you been playing recently, man? Dave, I'm not gonna lie to you. As I'm sitting in my chair smoking a half cigarette, my hair has gone curly and gray. I am still playing Final Fantasy XIV, dude. Like <laughs> I cannot get enough of it. <clears throat> my normal routine, uh, right, is I wake up in the morning, I drink a pot of coffee. Uh, you know, much like our parents and grandparents reading a newspaper, I get on my phone and I read stuff. The very first thing I've been doing when I wake up in the morning, making that coffee. And then going and turning on Final Fantasy 14 so I can just get some like menial shit out of the way, you know, uh, but that's what I've been on, man. Like, I, like I've said before, it's it's just like it's it's I don't really play a lot of MMOs and they really hit it on every single level. So I, I've been playing a healer. You know, I feel like that's the way that like, you know, I can contribute to a team because I suck at video games like this. And I've slowly come to realize that like everybody hates healers unless you're the Michael Jordan of healers. So mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's pretty frustrating playing uh, with people sometimes because they're like, "Why didn't you heal me?" And I'm like, "You ran to another room, dog. What do you want me to do, man?" But <laughs> I, I'm still absolutely obsessed with the game. Uh, I have recently uh, joined um, the Blacks or not the Blood the Carpentry Guild. Uh, so I can create furniture that people will pay me for with real life money uh, to put in their house. So that will be really cool. But it, I 
don't want to talk about it, but because <laughs> it's already consuming my entire life. But Final Fantasy fourteen, just I loved it so much more than I thought I would. Yeah. Well, it seems like that's like the general way that people um experience Final Fantasy fourteen is like if you're a healer, everyone hates you. If you're a tank, everyone hates you. If you're a DPS, everyone everyone hates you. You know, you can't really win. So <laughs> I have no friends on that thing, dude. We're all yeah. enemies. When you win, there's no celebration. It's just like can't wait to never see you again, fuck face, and then jumping through the exit portal. Are you in like a guild or something? Do you uh contribute there, yes. To- yeah, so they they have different guilds for like different skill sets. Like you know, you could be like an apothecary, or you can be like a culinarian, uh, or whatever. Uh, but you can also like team up with people like in the game. Me and my friends, uh, we create like a free company, which is basically like our own version of like a trading company. So we can uh, collect supplies, sell them to other people. Uh, we can exchange things amongst each other. It's it's super in-depth, and I really don't want to talk about it anymore, but it, it is uh, like <laughs> if you can think that an MMO could potentially do a thing, Final Fantasy fourteen does it, and they do it very well. Uh, like, yeah. why, why did it suddenly become popular again? I know it's super popular these days. Like, what happened? Well, it used to just be, like, terrible, and then uh, they re-released uh, the initial game, uh, which, and they called it a, a Realm Reborn. Um, they made it cheaper. They made it so you didn't have to pay as much monthly. I, I remember when I first heard about it, it was like 30 bucks a month to play the game. Yeah. Now it's 10 bucks a month, which is a, a little better for me. Um, considering how much time I've been putting into it. But basically, they just they, they did what good video game companies do, is they listen to the fans, and they acted accordingly, and now everybody likes it. Yeah. Another thing, uh, I was chatting with another buddy who plays a lot of MMOs recently, and uh, he said that the controversy with Blizzard, coupled with the fact that people are mad at a good like, point. What's, what's going on with WoW, the game oh, itself, yeah. uh, is just driving people toward... Uh, Final Fantasy for their MMO fix and like a bunch of popular streamers have been getting on Final Fantasy uh, like WoW streamers have been trying out Final Fantasy and just like sending their you know thousands of fans over so right, I think yeah. like the perfect storm right now for Final Fantasy I saw there's a big uh, what's his name uh, he's a streamer his name's Rubber Ross he uh, ate he had a subathon where he sat there and ate 147,000 eggs uh final fantasy 14 eggs he just collected a bunch of eggs and just had his character eat them over (laughs) over days i'd give him money too that sounds like just that just sounds like high quality entertainment yeah it's literally just uh his screen and his character would just eat an egg every you know 15 (laughs) seconds Hell yeah. There's 147,000 of them. It's so silly. That's so silly as shit. That's Uh, so funny. I love video games. games, They're just like real life. (laughs) Exactly, dude. Um, Eat an egg. Lately, uh, so last time, on the last episode, I said I was about to finish um, Hitman 3, and I did finish Hitman 3 uh, yesterday, and I started playing, I started replaying Hitman 1 because uh, you can play the the old levels in the Hitman 3 engine, so everything looks beautiful and runs beautifully. Uh, so I played a few of those levels, um, getting ready to uh, probably record some podcasts about those games uh, later on, because they are just they're just the best. Um, yeah, Hitman 3 is um, really really good. It's kind of different, um, but it's really good. Um, they if you like the hitman like puzzle box levels there's a bit less of that in hitman 3 uh, because they're focusing on the story a little bit more which i think is them 
practicing because they're going to make a James Bond game. Um, kind of practicing for that. Because, you know, James Bond has to have, like, a clear story to follow um, in his uh, his stories. So, yeah, that's my... Um, that's what I've been playing lately, Hitman. So, overall, do you think Hitman 3 is better than the other two? Is it, a, is it an improvement, or...? It's an improvement in graphics, but no, I don't... Because, like, the thing about Hitman is the... Uh, the intricate like clockwork levels and there's just less of that in hitman 3 there's a couple of them that are really stand out but i think hitman 2 is probably the best for that cool. so yeah i'm planning on playing hitman 2 in vr whenever i uh, i need to set up my psvr uh whenever i can i don't know sometime in the next few weeks maybe i got a hitman 2's free on playstation plus this month right yeah for anyone listening to this, it's going to be well past that, but it was free. Um, <laughs> if you are able to procure a time machine, go back and get Hitman 2 because that game fucking rules. Uh, VR would be super interesting to see how that works because I don't think the game was like designed with VR in mind, so I hope it works. Yeah, and there's not too many AAA VR games anyway, and I guess this game wasn't designed in VR, uh, but I don't know. It seems to seems like people like it. That's good. It's, it might just be a gimmick. Yeah. And it's it's cool that the devs did it, you know? The, the devs didn't have to uh, go and make a VR mode for it. Um, I don't think they attracted many new customers because, you know, PSVR is not really... It's kind of a niche thing anyway. Yeah, even in, like, the VR circles, like, there are a few big VR games, but they're not on PSVR as far as I know, like the, the Half-Life game. Alex, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, it's just a couple Ace Combat's one of them, but that's impossible to play in VR. Such a that, headache. Uh, that Star Wars game was in VR right. the Squadrons game. I got that too. I need to I need to load that up. It was free on PS Plus a long time ago. Yeah. Um all right, let's uh let's get into talking about Ghost of Tsushima. Um for anyone listening, if you have not played uh, Ghost of Tsushima, it's okay because we're going to avoid spoilers. We're going to do our best to avoid spoilers until the spoiler wall later in the episode. So don't worry, we won't um, spoil things for you. We'll try not to. If you have played it, we are going to get into the spoilery good stuff later in the episode. So uh, let's begin by talking about our histories with Ghosts of Tsushima. Um, Like, when did we play it? Uh, What got us interested in it? Um, How long did it take to play? So I'll get started. I heard about, well, I mean... Ghost of Tsushima got a huge marketing push. So anyone who follows video games and PlayStation stuff heard about it. But um, I put it off because I rarely buy games when they first come out. Um, And then Aaron was telling me about how good it is. Um, So I picked it up. I played it in probably across May, June, and July of uh, this year, 2021. Um, I got it before the PS5 upgrade, but I played it on a PS5. So... I guess that helped with like loading times and stuff like that. Even without the upgrade, we're going to talk about it, but I was just blown away by how it looks and feels to play. And um, it took me 36 hours uh, to play. And I feel like I got a good amount of completion with that. Uh, Aaron, how about you? I heard about it from you. So why did you get interested in it? Well, uh, you know, Arrington, the Ryan Arrington, our uh, guest on the last episode, he's way more into like the, hey, what's coming out like uh, side of video games. 
Uh, and he had been talking about it forever and ever and ever. And the way he kind of uh, put it to me was that it, he kind of said it was like Grand Theft Auto, but set in like early, like, I don't remember, like 1300s or 1200s uh, Japan. And it was basically like a Grand Theft Auto samurai game. And I was like, that sounds pretty cool, but I've never been into like, you know, Grand Theft Auto like that. Um, but I, uh, he sent me a clip one day and he's like, bro, like when there's something nearby, a bird flies down from the sky and guides you to it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, cool. I'm going to buy that day one. Uh, so I went out and I bought it and I, that, that was my initial attraction was, oh, Hey, you can interact with animals and stuff around the world and they help you find stuff. I'm like, well, that's just enough for me right there, especially with all the publicity it was getting. But yeah, again, another recommendation from Ryan that I jumped into immediately. And it was one of those like buy that game right away games that I didn't regret. Like I was like, okay, this is like money well spent here. For sure. And it's a good thing. Uh, it's not like a Grand Theft Auto game if you don't like those games. I'm not sure where that exactly. comparison came from. Well, just an open world kind of, you know, do what you want kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's not really much like Grand Theft Auto unless you're like completely like only just using the fact that it's in like third person, you know. But, you know, I I, I can see the similarities and stuff. But it was it was uh, fr from the minute I started that game, I was I was hooked. I was completely OK with paying full price for it. Sure. Aaron, how many uh, hours did you play? Do you remember? I don't, but I can tell you I did 100% uh, complete the game. Like, I wanted to squeeze every little bit of juice out of it. Uh, and it's one of, like, uh, maybe, like, three or four games I've ever uh, put 100% into. But the biggest difference was is the little side shit in the game is what makes this game so good. Like, the main story is good and the battle system good and all that. It's just the tiny little things you can do. You, you can tell that they, like, put in the work to perfect those little things. Like, you know, you can, like, play a flute after you kill somebody. That was my favorite thing. Kill somebody <laughs> and then, like, play the flute and, like, you know, help guide their soul into the afterlife. Uh, just, but tiny little shit like that. But I 100% I completed it because I had a, I, uh, I, had beaten the game and I did not want to stop playing it yet. So I just went ahead and hundred percent completed it. Right. We'll talk about that side stuff. Uh, when we get into the game itself, uh, Ryan, how about you? What's your history with ghost of Tsushima? Well, I saw it and I was really interested in it initially because I really like sucker punch studios. I think the infamous games are pretty cool. I really enjoyed the infamous game. Uh, second light's a great game. It's short, fun. It's kind of a cool open world game, but uh, sucker punch studios, they put out some good stuff. I was interested in it, but uh, I didn't want to pick it up uh, when it first came out because I was planning on getting a PlayStation 5, and I like, I'm like i a sucker for those higher frame rates. I'm crazy about the higher frame rates. I have to have them right now. I can't play a game <laughs> at 30 FPS anymore. Uh, so I ended up playing it this year in February, maybe? January or February? And uh, I got it on sale from uh, the Christmas sale, I believe, uh, for like 40 bucks, and it was well worth the money. I probably spent, I don't know, uh, I almost 100%ed it uh, like Aaron, but I, I didn't have anybody to play the multiplayer with, so I couldn't 100% it. Uh, but yeah, I went and did all the side stuff, went and got all the haikus and all that goofy stuff. Yeah, it was overall right. a, a great experience. I would do it again in you know five or six years from now. Right on. Sure. Yeah, I, I could see myself replaying this someday. Um, all right. Um, let's uh, let's get into the game and like the basics of how everything works. Um, we're going to start with the 
uh, the most striking thing about Ghost of Tsushima, which is the visuals. Um, I don't often, you know, like visuals are not something that I really pay a close amount of attention to a lot of times, but it's, it's just impossible to ignore it in Ghost of Tsushima. So, like I said, I played this before the PS5 upgrade, um, but it was still, you know, top level, most beautiful game I've ever played. Um, the way that they use colors throughout the game, uh, the way that every area you go into has a, a, you know, a theme, like this area is just a giant field of roses, or like this area is just like, like golden, you know, wheat fields or something like that. Or like, you know, the, the classic like white flowers blowing in the wind that I feel like every Japanese, uh, game has these days. Um, every section of the map is just a, a treat visually and for me that meant that like instead of fast traveling most of the time I would just ride my horse across the map because all of these areas are so beautiful uh, the weather effects are just really really cool uh, it was just a treat to like ride through these areas and just take in the scenery I also took a shitload of screenshots in this game and I am not a screenshot person most of the time I only take a screenshot if something funny is up on screen. Um, but Ghost of Tsushima, I stopped, took pictures often. Um, just incredible. What do you guys think about the visuals? I, I'm with you, man. I think that it has arguably the best graphics I've ever seen in a video game. Uh, one thing that you uh, didn't, like, you, you pretty much nailed everything on the head right there, dude. Like, visually, it's great. Every area is great. I love the little, like, uh, creek paths that lead you to duels and stuff. You know, how they, like, surround you with trees and the wind picks up or the sky changes color. Like, it it, it all, like, uh, go, comes together very well, like, like uh, pretty flawlessly. Uh, but the, the battling in the game graphically, I just think is so fucking cool like the way like you know it, it, it's 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 the combat is pretty much is, is pretty simple you're dodging you're blocking you're slicing and stuff but seeing Jin like do the things that he's doing and being able to see it so clearly like okay cool he's just gonna jump over this guy like jump over this guy's back and then stab him through and pull the blade out and then shake the fucking blade out or shake the blade <laughs> off so it doesn't have blood on it anymore you know decapitating somebody in the game just having him do that while he's looking the other direction and the the battle system in that game is one of the most fun and if, you, if you're going to talk about the graphics here like they nailed that part better than they did anything else and again one more thing before i stop dude i also took so many pictures like i would just be like standing in front of a sprawling meadow like i said the fields of roses that they have in certain areas in the game and i would just stand there and play my uh, i would play the flu and get the sky you know overcast and have it rain a little bit i just take like 40 pictures and i'd send my friends i'm like hey isn't this cool they're like leave me alone i'm like i'm gonna go ahead and take some more pictures here but uh, everything else, Dave, you're 100% right about you. Graphically, it's one of the best games ever made. Yeah, I have to agree with Aaron and Dave, for sure. Uh, yeah, just the atmosphere alone is so atmospheric. And it being an open world, it's kind of empty. Uh, there's not, there's, you know, sparse camps set up and there's people walking through. But the, it's, the emptiness is kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, it's kind of a good thing in this game because the scenery is just so beautiful. Just the attention to detail. 
uh, for example, the flowers, there's these red spider lilies. And I have red spider lilies right outside my house, and you can see them clear as day, what kind of flower it is. You can see uh, the Japanese maple trees. You can see their leaves blowing on the ground. Uh, also, I, I really like the Kurosawa mode. It was really cool. Uh, did you guys try that out? I was gonna ask if anyone tried that out. I did. Yeah, dude, it's I mean, super cool. <laughs> that was. Like, uh, I didn't. I couldn't play it like that, but it was like it still looked awesome. Right. Yeah. You just pop it on for a little bit. I, I uh, was failing pretty miserable at some of the duels, so I would pop it on for you know just for a couple fights. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it looked beautiful. It was just such a beautiful game, and uh, like I said, it's empty, but uh, it's a pleasure to just ride your horse through. It's a pleasure to just walk through. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, um, for for people who haven't played, uh, the Kurosawa mode is like a a black and white filter that you can play. Is it basically play the entire game in black and white? Um, I guess like I've heard from people who like Kurosawa movies that they don't like that mode. They don't think it actually like it accurately portrays how those movies look. But uh, I don't. I I personally haven't seen any of those movies. I can't make a judgment on that um, but I think it does look kind of cool to just flip it on you know see how some of these areas look but I would never play more than a couple minutes with that mode on right it's just a cool little gimmick that they added uh, to you know pay homage to one of the best Japanese filmmakers of all time um, right. it's just a grain filter when it comes down to it but it's, it's just a cool little gimmick that they added you know yeah and part of their um, influence uh, they were vi clearly very heavily influenced by like Japanese films uh, when they made this game. So I was actually, I actually wanted to also talk about the cinematics and like the blocking in cutscenes and duels. They're they're portrayed in such a like more cinematic way than most games do. Like especially open world games, you don't often get those cutscenes where it's just like your main character and a an NPC standing face to face talking without moving like the cutscenes are all um, they're all acted there's uh, when you have duels with enemies they're 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 like blocked and framed in such like an action oriented way that that really goes a long way into like the entertainment value of playing this game yeah I agree uh, it, they definitely had a great uh, director of cinematography that paid attention to a lot of those old uh samurai films from the past and uh yeah, there's definitely a big influence by those uh, in all the cutscenes, and the just the drama the uh the voice acting itself just the uh, facial expressions it seems like almost you're watching one of those kurosawa films yeah did you guys play with uh english voice acting or with japanese japanese all the way I definitely played with the English voice acting and it was very funny. I sort of wish I would have played with the, I feel like it would have came across, you know, a little bit more serious, but yeah, I played it with English too. Like I try my best not to play anything with subtitles. I'm not going to hate, but I just not my preference. Yeah. Uh, I actually really like playing games in like the settings native language. So like Japanese games set in Japan, I try to play in Japanese uh, stuff like that but the until I guess maybe this got an update later but when I played it the voice and like the lip syncing wasn't synced up with the Japanese vocals and it really bothered me so I switched to English but the English voice acting was really really good uh, I, like I never said. I never noticed that Dave I never noticed okay. any problem in my fair enough um, 
and uh, the music in the game i i don't have a lot to say about it it's pretty laid back except for the like you know action music that plays during like extremely uh intense moments uh we'll talk about one after the spoiler wall but uh the main theme uh, of the game is pretty good you heard that at the beginning of this episode uh music's pretty good but overall i think it's pretty laid back yeah for sure and that flute too uh, i'm sorry i, just, I like that flute is my flute. favorite it's all about that, that flute. it's my favorite thing in the game <laughs> kill somebody play the flute it's too bright outside play the flute you know i can't i'm not into spoilers but play the flute oh okay. yeah I didn't play the flute, so that could be some advice for uh, people who haven't played. Aaron says play the flute. Play Uh, that flute. (laughs) If you have any questions about the game, if you're not really liking it, get that flute out. Yeah, just play the flute. Yeah, dude, (laughs) it will guide you away. (laughs) So let's get into, like, one other thing that sets this game apart, which is how the open world works in Ghost of Tsushima. Um, I... Uh, personally have been getting kind of sick of standard open world game design where you have a map full of question marks to fill out. I played Assassin's Creed Odyssey uh, last year or so and just got so burned out by how repetitive it was. And Ghost of Tsushima kind of has a reputation for kind of going against that because um, like I think Aaron said earlier, you have these animals that lead you to stuff like golden birds will lead you to new locations. Foxes will lead you to uh, Inari shrines. And um, probably its biggest like uh, thing to claim is that you don't have a giant like map marker shining in the distance and you don't have a giant golden trail leading you to your destination on the ground. Um, You kind of flick the control pad and the wind blows in the direction that you uh, need to go in, which I personally think that all of these things go a long way towards immersion. But I do, this is it's still an open world game. It's just like papering over those uh, really artificial feeling things because you, you still have map markers, but it, instead of an Inari shrine map marker, it's a fox map marker. And then you go see the fox and the fox takes you to the shrine. So... I mean, I like these things, um, but I don't think these are... It's not like this open-world killer like um, the reputation has. What do you guys think? Right, and there's also a lot of audio cues as well that help you push push you in the direction. So you could hear the bird, and you're like, oh, right, there's a bird right. around here somewhere. You gotta find the bird, or you can hear the fox making its little barking noises. I didn't even know foxes barked. Is that a thing? Is that yeah, real? they do. They make sounds like that. Okay, so you can hear the fox barking, and uh, you can go find the fox. So you really didn't need uh, some of those map markers. Uh, if you use those audio cues, you don't even need them at all. And there may be a way to turn those off too. Um, I'm not sure. I didn't. I don't really tool around in settings too much, but there might be a way to just turn all that stuff off. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed it compared to a game like Red Dead Redemption Two, where uh, you do have all those map markers, and you're just kind of wandering around aimlessly. At least uh, with this game. It does give you some sense of direction, and uh, the wind was a really cool. It was a really cool idea. It just send you where you're going. Oh, you're doing this quest. Just follow the wind. 
Right. Follow the wind. Hey, right, dude. And and I'll say that was one of like that's one of like the coolest things in the game to me was the wind. Because like, you know, we've been playing video games for such a long time that I feel like I could easily say, like, okay, if I'm gonna play a blank kind of game, like it had like for it to for me to consider it like great or for me to like you know get myself into it, like it's gotta have that like same formula, but it's gotta do it differently. The the wind guiding you to things was the coolest possible way that they could have done, you know, what direction am I supposed to go? Like, it was, right. it was kind of frustrating, you know, sometimes, because I, I think if there's one, like, bad thing, quote-unquote, about the game, it's, it's, it's like the camera and how you control the camera during fights and stuff like that. Uh, but the wind guiding you from location to location was very cool. Uh, before we move on, one more thing I want to talk about. If you play your flute, uh, hashtag Aaron <laughs> loves flutes, uh, in front of a frog shrine, uh, a bunch of little frogs come out of nowhere and they like jump around your feet like oh yeah it's, it's the coolest thing in the world dude aaron's all about frogs so anytime you can get a frog in there he's he's all about it <laughs> 60 dollars easy frogs yeah. i'm in frogs and flutes this is christmas gifts this year huh? yeah <laughs> oh, this game is so good <laughs> we we mentioned the foxes uh i need to i need to go back to them just for a second uh those foxes are incredibly cute the way that they're animated, uh, they they get excited and they do like little tip taps with their feet. They like roll over on their back. They're you so can pet goddamn them. cute. You can pet them. Um, it's, I mean, the foxes are so, so good. There's, without spoilers, there's a part in the game where a fox gets killed and you're like, oh. <gasps> No, you no, you motherfucker! It. Yeah, and everybody in England is cheering because they fucking hate foxes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the I, you know, when I was first playing the game, I was like, I want to one hundred percent this game. I want to get every achievement. I wonder if there's an achievement for petting every fox, you know, that you find along the way. So when you complete the Inari Shrine, I would immediately go and pet it, and I had yeah. done it like. 25 times in a row and then one time i found an re shrine and i could not find the fox anywhere and i was so so mad i was like god i gotta look and see if that's an achievement real quick okay it's not i still feel bad that one fox got to i did not get to pet that one fox and it really yeah. fucked me up after you get in an in an re shrine um you get a chance to pet the fox and if you just ignore the fox you know if you don't give him his pets for being a good guide I don't know what to tell you. You're a fucking monster. <laughs> You're uh, a monster. The, <laughs> You're going to hell. The director's <laughs> cut. They added belly rubs to the fox. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, hell they, yeah. they do others. They like dance or something too. They they do yeah. something else. Yeah. Uh, good foxes. All right, it's uh, one of the buying points for me for buying the director's cut is little fox belly rubs, you know? Belly rubs in belly rubs I'm in glorious in. like 4K HDR with ray tracing. All right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bale's getting hot in here. Damn. <laughs> um, there are other uh, side activities you can do, which which really stand out from like typical open world fare. Uh, like there's hot springs to increase your health, which is it's you know sometimes it's uh they're placed in such a way where you're like, oh, I just got done you know slaughtering an entire camp of people. Let me just chill in the hot <laughs> spring for a minute. Um, same with the uh, water. <laughs> same with the haikus. Uh, there's a, a thing where you you find these places to sit down and compose haiku. Uh, what did you guys think about making haikus? Because this seems it, to be like something it was awesome. that a lot of people remember. 
You like it? It was awesome. Oh my God, <laughs> dude. Like you can like, so before I went and I beat the end of the game, uh, <clears throat> I went, I can't talk about that. I went somewhere and I sat down and I read through all of the haiku that I had, all the haikus that I had written because it is really cool that each one is like a different theme right and and you get to basically like create your own. I, know, I know they don't give you a lot of choices but I, I and again going back to the cinematic part after you write your haiku it just like does a couple little quick cuts of the surrounding area and Jin recites his haiku uh, I, I thought that was fucking really cool like I was very excited when I came upon those places you know and I 100% I found every single one did all the haikus it was really cool uh they, they do a really, really good job of getting you invested in the Jin's character to making you feel like you are him, even though you're not just some like nameless like Skyrim character that you created. You, they really get you into his role. So being able to go back and like read the haikus based off of the theme of whatever it was that you were doing, like by the end of the story, it really gives you a little bit more insight into you know how you view Jin and 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 things like that. I I love the haikus. Yeah, I guess it was kind of a unique way of uh, pushing the story a little bit. Because you sit down, you write the haiku, it's like, write about your mom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you sit there. Uh, at first, I was kind of being thoughtful about it, because you can look at maybe three different things, and then you write about the tree or something else. But by the end of it, I was just like, yeah, just look at these things and write the haiku and be done with it, Jim. We got things to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I Sharpen got... your sword. You're getting lazy. Jin has major things to take care of. I'm not sure that his mind is fully in this haiku writing process. Right. Um, yeah, I I guess if you're taking the haikus seriously, then if you go back and you're able to look at all of them and be like, holy shit, like things used to be so uh, chill back when I wrote that one. Things are not like <laughs> that now. I was thinking about I, like unrequited love. Yeah, that exactly. <laughs> I guess I guess that can be... Uh, a good thing if you're taking it seriously the whole time. Um, I was not a fan of writing the haikus. Uh, I just could not really bring myself to care. But, you know, that's just me. You might be into it. Um, yeah, it's pretty time consuming, too. It took, you know, like three or four minutes to write each one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hey, definitely I, not I quick. I paid $60 for that three or four minutes. <laughs> yeah, getting, true. I'm getting everything out of yeah. it. Dude. Paid $60 for Samurai Haiku Simulator. That's how we make a million dollars. Other than going back and reading them, there's no reward, right? You don't get any Correct. points for, you don't get any uh, no. stat points or anything. Yeah. I, again, I, I was just a big fan of Jin. I think he's one of my favorite video game uh, protagonists, probably of all time. Uh, and like I said, being able to hear you are him and you are writing something. It, it, these haikus are an extension of how you view that character. And uh, that was just really, really cool to me. All right. Well, on the topic of Jin, uh, let's talk about the story a little bit. And uh, we're, again, we're going to go no spoilers right now, uh, just the basic outline of the story. Uh, so you play as Jin Sakai, who is a samurai and the last surviving member of his clan. Um, his parents were killed when he was young, and he was raised by the local lord, Lord Shimura, who is a major character through the story. Um, and you are one of the main, or the few samurai who survived the. Uh, initial invasion by the Mongols. Um, the Mongols led by Khotun Khan. I think that's how you say his name. He is supposedly a cousin of Kublai Khan, uh, and they're coming to take over Japan. Um, and so the main thing in the story is you are trying to beat back this invasion. 
and save Tsushima and prevent, I guess, prevent them taking over the mainland too. Um, And the main thing the story kind of talks about is this conflict between samurai's duty and honor versus the methods that you have to use to succeed when you're so terribly outnumbered. Um, so those those two things, like the honorable samurai code and the like dishonorable way that you play open world action games, you know, stealthing around and stuff like that, uh, they clash, and that's a major story thing. And I'm not spoiling it. This happens within the first you know hour or two of playing the game, um, and that's as far as I'll go with it before the spoiler wall. But uh, I was happy. You know, that seems like uh, the game is scolding you for playing it the way that the game is made to be played, but it's really not. You just got to trust me on that before you play. Like, I was happy with how that played out. So that's all I'll say about the story before the spoiler wall. The story was good. Um, Some really, really powerful moments, uh, in my opinion. Um, Yeah, what do you guys think about um, how the story went uh, without spoilers? Well, the story is a 10 out of 10 story. And I, I again, I, I'd, I'd rather wait until the spoilers to talk about it. But to go on the, uh, you know, honor versus dishonor thing, it, the way I played the game was very dishonorably. Like, right, like they really <laughs> want you to uh, go to a camp and call out their leader and fight them one on one. And I was basically the minute I was able to throw bombs, I was like, oh, I'm not doing any of that. I'm just going to throw a bomb at them. Uh, so I did a, I don't really do the stealth thing, but I was very stealthy through bombs that people gave them, hit him with arrows and stuff. Like I, I was not an honorable samurai and it felt like even though I could have picked, made either decision that, uh, Shimura, uh, would have given me shit either way. So I was like, fuck it. I'm that grenade boy. You know, that's, I played the game like primarily using grenades. Like when I got to the duels, I was like, oh shit, I can't use grenades. This is bad. (laughs) Right. Same with me. I was kind of annoyed with the samurai honor thing at first, but uh, I think they tied in the story and how like it's a desperate time and we need some desperate measures here. And uh, so samurai or not, you have to kind of adapt and improvise and uh, overcome the situation, you know. So they kind of uh, tied it in pretty well. Like, yeah, your samurai shit—it's not going to fly here anymore. Uh, we got to be ninjas instead. Let's let's be some ninjas. Right. Yeah. It's a common complaint that I hear about this game is that, like, oh, the game is clearly made to stealth in the grass and shoot arrows and stuff like that. And then after I do that, they tell me I'm a piece of shit because I did that. But I promise you, that's it plays into the story. It's all accounted for. The game is not, like, scolding you for playing it. It's, you know, they're scolding the character because he's not supposed to do that. That's not how he was raised and trained. Uh, so... Yeah, without uh, getting too far into it, the story, I think, is pretty good. Um, You're also doing... um, So other than the main quest with Jin's uh, story with the Mongols, you're doing side quests, because this is an open-world RPG-type game. Uh, And the side quests are broken up into three types. You have uh, the character side quests, which are called Tales. So the side characters, and this is something I really like about this game... The side characters all have their own side stories that you follow. And like they have like up to nine chapters of their one big long side quest throughout the course of the entire game. So instead of meeting like, you know, 
75 NPCs that give you side quests throughout the game. You have like five side characters that give you a long, like chapter-based side quest. Um, In my opinion, these are really good. I like the stories. I like how that type of side quest allows for character development for side characters. Um, And we'll talk about that stuff, the specifics after the spoiler wall. You also have mythic tales, which are like, they give you like a legend uh, from mythology, or maybe they just made it up. I don't really know much about Japanese mythology. Uh, These are like single side quests that give you a reward, like a a combat technique or a suit of armor or something like that. Um, These were generally really well crafted, in my opinion. And then finally, you have what I just call errands, which... I'm not sure if they're randomly generated. They feel like they are, where it's like random people will be like, hey, can you bring me some supplies? And I just ignored all of those. I could not be <laughs> could not be bothered with those. Ah, dude, they needed your help. They're in a war-torn <laughs> country. I felt so bad. <laughs> like, if somebody was like, hey, dude, I need you to go get me, like, this flower, and I'm just like, I should, man. Your life is rough. You live in this country right now. Yeah, you've been living in a tent in the yeah. countryside <laughs> i did some of the more fun errands where they had uh they were carrying somebody who's i don't know they're they had prisoners right and you just go save the prisoner just because i could like, not i could not walk away from those i felt sure, so yeah, bad if yeah I, did. I mean like if i'm traveling down the road and i see them transporting a, a prisoner ahead of me i'll go help them out but like you go to these camps and someone's like, Hey, uh, I need you to go get this thing. That's like all the fuck the way across the map. Can you, and I'm like, no, no I'm not going to do that. <laughs> nah, son. <laughs> <laughs> I nah, am the I'm only good. person doing anything on this entire Island. I, I cannot yeah. bring you 10 firewoods or whatever. I'm good on that, homie. Uh, what'd you guys think about the, um, like we we'll get in detail with side quests later, but like, just generally, do you guys think the side quests are well constructed? Yeah, I really enjoyed all the side quests. It's probably the best part of the game, really. I I, I think I enjoyed the side quests just as much as I enjoyed the uh, main story. Uh, the main story was pretty straightforward and predictable, but uh, the side quests, they could really go any direction, and they were all unique. All the uh, side characters were pretty interesting. Uh, they're there's one guy I didn't really care for too much. The monk was kind of boring, but everybody else was awesome. Uh, they had their own tragedies that they experienced, and uh, it was cool to see them push that narrative and uh, a lot of character development uh, with the side characters. And right. Like you said before, it's pretty unique in a game where, you know, a game like Grand Theft Auto, you go, you know, the, the side characters don't develop too much. You just go to an NPC and they say, okay, do this mission. You come back and they're like, oh, you did a good job. Here's some money. And then you never see that person again. Right, right. So just focusing on five or, I don't know, probably close to ten probably, maybe something like that, uh, different NPCs that give you you quests and they fight alongside you. Uh, It was really an interesting take, and it was a lot better than uh, most of the other open-world games that I've played. And another thing that they did really well, and I don't remember the guy's name, but the uh, the old archer guy and his story of him trying to find, like... uh, uh, his old student that had gone rogue or whatever. First off, that guy was in Lost. Okay, but anyways, back to my Wait, original who, point. Who was he in Lost? Hold on. He 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 was uh the doctor that they found on uh, oh the shit video the tape. That's the him. doctor on like, the go, tape. Yeah, go listen to his. It's it's the same guy. I, I was like listening. To it, I was like, I know this guy's voice. That doctor's but, name is no. is it Pierre Chang? Is that his name? 
I do not remember. I, I think Pierre is, I, I think Pierre is, I, I really don't remember. Um, but what I will say is one of the things that the side quests do do is they force you to kind of like play the game the same way that whoever you're uh, doing the side quest for plays the game. Like with that old archer guy, like a lot of the quests that you do for him involve you having to do things with your bow. I didn't use my bow a lot in the game. The only time I would use it is during those missions. And uh, I don't remember the lady's name either, but she was very stealthy. So a lot of her missions involved you like sneaking around and like doing stuff like that. So they had a really good way of intertwining the, the uh, mechanics of the game uh, with those side uh, quests too, which is very cool. But you're right. Those are, you're right, right. Those are the best parts of the game. And I think uh, some of those side stories are just as good as the main story. It is Pierre Chang, by the way. Yeah. I just nice. <laughs> um, yeah. For, for open world games, um, I think I, I, I want to say, I mean, I know there were good side quests before the Witcher three, but I think the Witcher three really just like snapped everyone's attention to like, Hey, you have to have good side quests if your game is going to last this long. And uh, Ghost of Tsushima that you can tell they really put effort and in writing into these uh, side quests. Yeah. Uh, the mythic tales also were pretty cool. Uh, it what didn't feel like a collectathon, but you were actually going out. It was a collectathon, but it didn't really feel like it. Uh, they, uh, you know, had these legends that you had to follow to find the different armors and different techniques yeah uh yeah it was sick it was awesome without spoilers we can talk later but like there's one mythic tale where you are just you're doing these duels i think you do like six duels um and they're all set up in just these so cool just these insanely beautiful arenas uh to do and they're like it, it ended up being one of my most memorable things from the game is this one uh side quest and a lot of them are uh, really, really quality. Even if, even if you are going around finding different parts of armor or doing five duels or something like that, they are they are really, really uh, well crafted, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure, I agree with you hundred percent. And I, like I said, I I enjoyed picking up all the armor, and I used the armor a lot too. So it wasn't just for not. It wasn't really a collectathon because collectathons you collect a it's like the haikus you uh collect them but you don't use them yeah collecting for the sake of collecting right but i actually I actually used all the uh, techniques and the armor and stuff it was it turned out useful see i was like i was like the opposite i i only ran around with like the wanderers gear i i thought that game was like the easiest game i had ever played in my entire life and uh, I ran literally the whole game with that gear. I don't remember exactly what it does. It, it does something that helps you guide yourself along. But yeah, whatever the basic shit you got at the beginning, I I, I just I rolled with that the entire game. I, I figured I was like, well, I've already got it on the its hardest difficulty. Might as well not wear any armor either. There is one costume where you're just in underwear, which is very fun. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. If you can't beat the uh, the Mongols the honorable way, just like take off all your clothes and try to freak them out. Hey Arnold him. Yeah. Um you uh you brought up combat there, so let's talk about combat. Um and I kinda wanna break this up into like the general flow of combat because most of Ghost of Tsushima is either uh attacking enemies out in the open, like as you're traveling in the open world, or uh taking out camps, uh doing uh, missions in camps. So the one of the things that really stands out about this game is the standoff uh, mechanic, which somebody brought up earlier. 
uh, which is where you can like announce yourself to a group of enemies and they come at you one by one and you do a timed button like hold release press chain uh, to just like one hit kill these enemies it's extremely stylish um i think aaron you said you never did that i almost always did this when i entered I a camp did it, but yeah um or if i was like just going through the open world and i saw like hey there's two enemies in the road i'm just gonna do this standoff and one hit kill them it takes 10 seconds and then uh doing that fills up your uh your like mana bar for lack of a better word um so that was always a always something I did. It's pretty cool. Uh, I like this system a lot. It, it's a good way to just thin out a crowd when you're when you're going into a camp or something like that. Uh, I didn't really use it that much. I preferred uh, the stealthy method and picking them off with the bow a bit. And if I saw a group of people walking, uh, I usually just rode my horse up to them, you know, popped off the horse, did a couple front flips, slash, slash, slash. It seemed just <laughs> as fast as using the, uh, using the standoff thing. So I I used it a few times, but uh, I just, I didn't find it very fun. I, I'm not very big on, uh, what are those, the hotkey presses? The, uh, yeah, the quick, quick time, time events, quick yeah. time events. I'm not really big on those. I don't really care for them too much. So, um, Fair enough. Yeah, I, I hardly ever use it. Um, well, you talked about stealth. Uh, so either the game really, really encourages you to use stealth. Uh, I mean, it's we it's woven into the story to use stealth. So this is like, if you've played Assassin's Creed, this is the same thing. You're hiding in tall grass. Um, you're going around on rooftops and stuff like that, uh, using your uh, like stealth kills or your bow to um, pick off enemies. Uh, because these these camps that you're doing for a lot of the missions, they have a lot of enemies in them, and you. I could not really fight in large groups. So stealth was pretty mandatory for me. Um, you're also doing like leaping assassinations and stuff. I mean, it's basically Assassin's Creed if you've played that. Um, so yeah, I was really heavy stealth. Um, I think Aaron, you said that you, you went pretty heavy stealth most of the time. I don't know if that's the best way to describe my game. My game style is just like, Hey, throw a grenade at them. And that, that's kind of, like, I literally, like I played the game, like a bombardier, like my grenades were like the, the, for my first option, the sword was always my second option. Cause the grenade thing was very funny and you could kill like 10 of them at one time. I don't remember what they were called, but they also had those darts that you could shoot at people that like drove them insane and made them fight their own teammates. Yeah. Uh, and so one thing I like to do is just go find one of the, you know, leaders of the camp hit that dude with a fucking dart and then watch him just kill everybody. So I guess, I guess it was stealthy. I, you know, I didn't like to get up front, but I, I just, I felt the game was like way too easy at a lot of points too. So I felt like I had to get creative with how I was doing things. So I wasn't like getting bored. You, you know what I mean? If that makes any sense. Right. I, I agree as well. I am a big fan of stealthing and strategizing and the game remind me a lot of a game I played as a kid, Tenchu Stealth, stealth Assassin. You guys ever play that? No. Anyway, a uh, seven-year-old ninja in me was uh, really takes over in these kind of games. So I like stealthing around and strategizing and using the kunai and using the uh, the crazy dart, whatever that thing is. Oh, the knives were such a cool addition to that game. And in the multiplayer, 
you could throw like pocket sand at people and like blind them. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious, dude. Oh, nice. I need to get into that multiplayer. I need to play it. Uh, but yeah, just uh, strategizing and going around. And just like Aaron, I couldn't. About the end of Act One, it just started getting really easy for me. So I had to crank the difficulty up a lot. So I cranked it up to lethal, and lethal seemed pr- almost just as easy uh, because everything's one-shot kill. So I'm one-shot kill, but everybody else is one-shot kill, basically. Hmm. Okay. Um, so I think I ended up turning it back down to hard, which is harder than the hardest difficulty. That's weird. A step below. To me, it was, at least. Uh, but yeah, I really, uh, when you crank up the difficulty, you have to. You can't just you know, jump in there and start swinging your sword around. You really have to strategize how you're going to take down people, and you just... You know, focus on small groups. You sneak around, kill this small group, sneak over here, this small group, rather than alerting everybody. Yeah, and, I always yeah, like, you know, stuff. that style of stealth, like moving around methodically, taking out enemies one by one until stealth breaks. That's how I played the Assassin's Creed games. That's how I played this one, too. Um, it was a lot of fun. Also... Like, both of you guys brought up difficulty that you thought the game was too easy on its regular difficulty. I thought it was really hard. Um, I know. I told you when you started the game, I was like, bro, just put it on hard right off rip because you're going to get bored on medium, I promise. And you're like, nah, I'm not. I'll be all right. <laughs> I think yeah. I told Dave the same thing. I think I told David the same thing, actually. Yeah. And I didn't. <laughs> I, I put it on um, normal difficulty, like whatever the default is. And I got my ass kicked for a while. Like I found this game extremely difficult at the beginning, and I think it's because combat has a ri- like the way he swings the sword has a really particular like rhythm to it, kind of like The Witcher, where it's not super fluid sword strikes like from one into another. There's a rhythm, and you have to get used to that. Um, so I got my ass kicked for a while, and after a while, I got used to it, and it became, you know. A good balance in my opinion i never felt like the game was easy until literally after i finished the story uh then i felt pretty unstoppable but uh, up until that point it was uh i thought it was pretty well balanced yeah it seemed like the enemies they have great uh blocking ai the ai is really good for blocking you can't just go in there and mash it won't get you anywhere and there's a lot of situations where you're fighting against big groups of enemies and you're relatively weak compared to them uh so like if you get swarmed by a bunch of dudes and you don't have like a an escape maneuver like one of your your gadgets to use like you can just get pounded and die pretty quickly um so let's talk about the kind of gadgets that you can use um they were especially helpful for me when i was fighting groups um you get your you have your katana which you can upgrade uh through collecting materials throughout the world And then you have these like ninja tools, like we kind of touched on earlier. You have smoke bombs, you have shuriken, you have kunai, uh, you have darts that do different things. I think you get a sleep dart and then one that kind of berserks the enemies into attacking. They're all pretty standard open world action game. um, I think you forgot about the grenades, Dave. Yeah, I use a lot of grenades. Dave? Dave, that, that's offensive to me. I need yeah. you to show some respect to the grenades, dude. That's the way to do the game. Okay, if you say so. Like, I, I don't think I used They only them. give you a three, though. It sucked. If they gave me five grenades, I never would have lost. I never would have died at all. Yeah, the grenades were awesome. The black uh, black powder bombs are what they call it, right? Right, uh, yeah. Correct. 
they stagger they stagger the enemies and they open them up and you can just toss one and then just slice 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 and you can take care of you know four or five dudes pretty quick uh, that's probably the most op one for sure yeah i used a lot of smoke bombs um yeah. because uh, you can get i think you can get like instant death blows when the enemies are stunned by smoke bombs um but I, I mean, I found myself in situations where I was like, oh, shit, I have to, like, get out of here or I'm going to get overwhelmed, like, often. So the kunai were really helpful for that to just, like, buy some distance. Um, yeah, those. And I, I like, really relied on the bow a lot. Like, yes, even, same here. even in, uh, like, standard combat, if someone wasn't right in front of me, I was shooting arrows until they got in front of me. Yeah, and you had two different kinds of bows, right? Is that right? Short bow yeah, and long bow. Yeah, a short bow and a long bow. That's so crazy. I literally never used the bow unless I had to for a mission. Oh, I, I was constantly using the bow, constantly yeah. using kunai, smoke bombs whenever I had to. Yeah, the gadgets are cool. I really like the gadgets. Uh, I like the stances, too, changing your stances depending on the character. So you right. have a, a stance that deals with heavy armor. You have a stance that deals with uh, all kinds of different guys. So... Uh, how, and leveling up, leveling up, you level up the stances. Isn't that right? Yeah. You level correct. up the stances and then you level up like, um, you know, various combat skills. Uh, mm. You can level up your uh, ninja tools too. Um, oh, right, 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 right. You should be putting a lot of points into leveling up the stances. Yeah. And I really liked uh, perfect parries were pretty cool. You know, you, you parry and then you, you cut the guy's head off. Uh, yeah. The pairing system was cool. I love, I love the combat. It was uh, very... It, but like I said, the learning curve was a little too shallow for me. I need a steeper learning curve for sure. Because um, it just got too easy near the end. After I figured out the combat, after I powered up all my stances, I was just... I was unstoppable. Even at harder difficulties, just like Aaron. I really like how they had that like one thing to where like if you were fighting a group of people and Jin just straight up like fucks a guy up like they all get scared and start running in the yeah. opposite direction <laughs> that's yeah. that's when I used the bow I was like uh just like just stringing my bow <laughs> and just picking them off like right as they got too far away very funny yeah uh the stance system is is pretty cool um like I can't remember if the Assassin's Creed game did the stance system, but like Neo comes to mind. Neo does, yeah. Either of you guys played Neo, and in Neo, I thought it was too much uh, to keep track of. But in Ghost of Tsushima, I felt like there was just enough, like just the right amount of things to be thinking about during combat to remember, like, oh yeah, heavy armor guy, switch stance uh, to stagger this guy. Um, I thought the stance system worked pretty well. And you need to use the stance system in duels also, uh, which is the next thing in the combat.
you'll get into these one-on-one -on -one duels uh, where you can't use any of your ninja tools, and instead it's very focused on deflecting and parrying and trying to find the right moment to strike. And these were really difficult for me at the like the first half of the game, but I, I mentioned that side quest earlier where you have to do like six duels, and that really whipped me into shape. And this ended up being like by far my favorite type of combat. I uh, really love the duels, partly because of like the almost like Sekiro-like nature of them, but also because of how beautiful these duels are set up. Like you're never just doing them in random places. They're always like uh, really like crafted. This is you're gonna do a duel here, so we're gonna make this environment and like the weather fucking beautiful during this uh, this fight. So I really love those. All right, same with me. I love those battles as well. Uh, and like you said, just the scenery, how they set everything up, how they, you know, one of them, you're surrounded by flowers, another one's in a cave. And they were probably, to me, they're probably the most challenging part of the game. Uh, there's one Ronin that I fought probably, you know, 20 or 30 times. It reminded me of, you know, Dark Souls or something. Uh, yeah, I will say, like, when you increase the difficulty in the game, those are the, that's when, to me, it started showing, is when you get into the duels, the duels become way harder. And I, I did have some problems with a couple of those. I, I felt like just regular-ass enemies, it didn't matter what difficulty it was on, I was killing all of them. It's it's really when you started doing the duels that, that the difficulty, like, increase really started showing up. Because they're hard. But absolutely. But that is fine. Absolutely. I think the this style, uh, this system shows off the techni technicalities of the combat system. Uh, it's not so chaotic. Uh, when you're out in the open or you're out, you know, clearing camps or whatever, it's really chaotic and you have to, you know, you, everything's chaos. But this, uh, just fighting these duels, you just focus on changing your stance is a lot slower, a lot more uh, you know, scripted, a lot more uh, intuitive. A lot, you just kind of, you, you notice the combat a lot better. Yeah, because it's not you're not you know being mobbed by twenty dudes, and you have to you have to be much more defensive in the duels too, because like the the enemies you're fighting in the duels are all like you know boss type enemies, so you can't just like spam attack; they'll deflect and punish you for it. It's you have to like really wait for them to attack and try to get that perfect parry, or at least deflect them. Right, and there's no black powder bombs to stagger them or anything. So. Right. <laughs> And what's what's really weird that you say that is like I I felt like like with the higher difficulty increase uh, that you had to be on the offensive in these fights like you, you you definitely have to be able to like dodge out of the way and parry and stuff but I really feel like if you thought about it too much like on those increased difficulties they punished you like it's almost got to be like bam 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 like Smash Brothers like you have to be able to get those button. Uh, you got to be able to get those uh, buttons down really quick or else they will punish you for them. So I did feel like I was way more defensive on the other difficulties. But when it got to the, you know, you know the lethal difficulty, it was like, OK, I have to be the one that makes a play here. I can't wait for him to make a mistake. So it got me into this the same kind of like mindset that I have to be in playing Dark Souls or um, Sekiro or Bloodborne or something like that, where you you take your shots when you have opportunities, but you absolutely cannot get greedy because then you'll you'll just get wrecked. Um, yeah, I, I can agree. And I really, really like that type of boss fight uh, where, you know, if you're, if you're really good, if you know the fight, if you know the enemies, because the enemies all have combos that you can learn. Um, and if you know, like, okay, this combo, he hits five times. And if I 
get through that, then he's going to be open. And it's the exact same type of uh, strategy and stuff from uh, like the Soulsborne games, which I love. And I loved getting that feeling in this game too. Um, all right, so all of these things we talked about, the standoff, the stealth, uh, the, the combat against basic enemies, and then the duels, this kind of sets up like the, like the loop of what you're doing most of the time in this game. Like you're getting quests, you're traveling across the open world, but you spend a lot of time um, going into enemy camps, clearing them out, uh, trying to kill a, a local leader or something like that, which is very very open world action um but i really really enjoyed the um the my strategy which was like do the standoff at the camp you can kill up to five enemies that way if you have uh, the right gear uh, upgraded uh so you can take out you know a third of the enemies like in the five camp. yeah yeah right away uh, so i always did that then i stealthed around until stealth was broken and then usually I would just have, you know, a handful of enemies to, to kill in a big brawl. And then sometimes there's a duel. Uh, and I really like that progression in it. Like I said, I played for 36 hours. It never, never got old for me. I, I really dig that Correct. kind of, uh, that kind of stuff. And, and it's in, and it's the best part of the game is it does not get boring. You don't like, you know, like a, like far cry, right? It's, it's the same concept. You're going around and you're going into a camp and you're killing everybody and then boom, you got to do it again. And then boom, you got to do it again. It's the same thing in ghost, but like it, it does not get boring. It's always like, okay, this fight's going to be a little bit different than the last one. I'm going to have to like the camps are set up differently and things like that. So I, I, I think that's the best point you can make to this game is while it does seem like you're doing a lot of the same thing all the time it always remains fresh and they give you enough power-ups uh enough upgrades to uh the ninja tools that you already have to where you're constant it constantly feels like you're doing it differently than the last time you did it right yeah i can totally agree with that uh it never really felt stale for me at all uh if you have it at higher difficulties but when i had it at lower difficulty <laughs> it started getting a little boring for me you know just because I, I can't just always win, you know? I, I feel bad if I don't die. I feel like I'm cheating the game. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> I, I understand that. I died frequently, even on the standard difficulty, up until, you know, the last five hours of the game, I was still dying, like, regularly. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk about multiplayer for a second, because this is a a major part of the game. Um, I didn't play this at all because, uh, as I said in the last episode, I don't like multiplayer stuff. Um, it takes a truly special game to break through, and I did not... You know, I played this whole game. It's a very solitary game, I think, like, as Jin, and I never was like, I want to play this with other people. That never sounded like a... Uh, an experience that I wanted to do. So Aaron, I know you played it. So uh, why don't you tell us what that's about? First off, it's awesome. I never thought they could take a game like that and make, you know, like an online multiplayer that wasn't like Grand Theft Auto or uh, Red Dead, where you're just back in this open world and you're just like running little quests with people. So it has like two different modes. It has one mode 
uh, where it's you and one other person and you're playing through a completely new story. So it's like a completely different story. It's just a co-op story. You guys play through that uh, and it's awesome. And then the other mode they had was kind of like, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know. It, it's it's like a wave like game, like like Gears of War or something like that, where it's like you and three other people and you each have a class. Like one guy's a DPS, one guy's a tank, one guy's a healer, one guy's a whatever. Uh, and you basically have to, yeah, it's, 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 it's like waves of different enemies that ends in a boss. And it was a lot of fun. Um, they have a bunch of different customizable stuff that you can unlock for your character in game. Uh, you can take your character in game and they have, uh, people in all of the main cities in the game where you can just like talk to them and immediately just switch over into the multiplayer mode instead of having to like log completely out and then go back into it. Uh, but I, I loved it. I played it with Ryan and a couple of our friends. And like I said, we just slayed it, dude. I, I, I was just, I was hungry for more of the game after I had completed it and it completely satisfied uh, that part of it. Uh, but yeah, I, I understand why you don't want to play it, but I also feel like it's not like a conventional like a uh, multiplayer it's, it's like you're either doing waves with your friends or you're playing through another story it's just co-op this time so that's what I, really attracted me to it yeah i would have loved to try it i just uh, the time i was playing it nobody else was playing it i was recommending it to friends and they were picking it up you know a month after i finished i just had nobody to play it with it's, it seems like something you'd want to do with friends and not just randy's on the internet Mm-hmm. So, Correct. I would not have done it with random people. It was a lot more fun to play with like a couple of my buddies. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm so not interested in doing waves of enemies. <laughs> I've just played too many games like that, and it's just you know it might be fun for an hour or so, but I'm I always get yeah. sick of it. Uh, so Dave, I'm I'm, Call I'm, of Duty I'm right with you. Yeah, Call yeah. of Duty no, Zombies I, I never like was, was never for me. Yeah, I never <laughs> really got into Dave, it. Dave, I'm I'm on the same plane that you were, and I and again, this is another thing I told you. Like I was like, you have to play the multiplayer with me, and you're like, no. And I was like, okay, Dave, but like I'm I'm the same way. I I don't like stuff like this. This isn't what I'm into, but they do a really good job. Uh, so what what I'll say is like, you know, if you ever decide to do it again, um, I I will do that with you because it is totally worth it. And I'm not really into that kind of thing either. I appreciate the offer, but I will probably not be doing it. We're not friends anymore. (laughs) Just, I mean, like, I just really don't like multiplayer games um, unless it's super special, like Rocket League we talked about last time. Um, So, yeah, that's multiplayer um, in Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, The Ghost of Tsushima director's cut was released uh, pretty recently as we're recording this. it adds a next-gen upgrade and also adds DLC uh, called Icky Island. Did you guys play this? No, nah, I haven't. I haven't tried it yet. I can't put, pull myself together to pay $30 for uh, the DLC. Correct. And, uh, right. Maybe if it goes on sale on Christmas, $10 maybe, I'd pick it up. And that's yeah. what uh, you know, Death Stranding is going to do. The director's cut upgrade is going to be 10 bucks. I can't see myself doing 30 bucks for it, though, you know? Yeah, and um, the the death str- not to get too sidetracked with Death Stranding, but d- the Death Stranding director's cut sounds like it just added so many fucking weird out of left field ideas that I might, you know, I might be like more tempted to replay Death Stranding with that. Um by all accounts the DLC for Ghost of Tsushima is like pretty good if you I mean if you like the main game, it just gives you like another island to like go do a little story and stuff like that 
from what I've heard, if you if you play it alongside the rest of the game, it doesn't really stand out. But for people like us who played a couple months ago and like would come back and play it, uh, it's I think it's better for that crowd is what I've heard. But yeah, like you said, I'm not paying $30 for one uh, DLC pack of Ghost of Tsushima, even if I do really like the game. So right, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll say this, man. If it's like a video game that has like, like a really really good story like you know front to back you get a you get a really good sense of uh finality uh with it the minute that they're like oh hey by the way we made this like little sub story to me is like saying like oh hey we're making a uh, green mile two like you know what i mean it's like why <laughs> would you add anything else like you've already done something so good there's no way this little thing that you did this you know, quote unquote sequel is going to satisfy me the way the story did. If anything, like I, f- I have a sense of accomplishment and completion already to me, it just seems much, I'm, I'm sure it's fun, but <clears throat> I have no, absolutely no interest in playing that again. It could have something to do with the fact that I did 100% the game, but just, I, I, I do not want any more. You guys did a perfect job. You gave me the perfect amount. I'm full. I don't want any more to eat. Yeah, right, and they call it a director's cut, and it seems like they would cut some things for a reason. So I guess the Iki Island, it was originally supposed to be in the game, but it got cut, right? Um, I mean, they're not Kojima, you know, Death Stranding, you know, maybe uh, that guy's wild. They probably cut some wild stuff from Death Stranding because Kojima (laughs) (laughs) was that fella. But I mean, they're not Kojima, right? So I'm not really interested in something that they cut from the original game. Yeah. And they, you know, they added in later for 30 bucks. Right. I I, Yeah, Aaron, I'm kind of with you, like, when I finish a game, my my mind kind of like closes the book on that game. Um, even if I really, really like it, it, it's really hard for me to go back and play DLC for a game. Like uh, it happened to me with Control. I really like the game Control and I beat it. And then six months later, I got the DLC and I was just like over it. Maybe you got backlog, dude. I got other things to do, man. I can't go back. It's not even that. I mean, it's like, I, I really like that. Ge- I really like that game. I should be into more of that game, um, and if it's what I want to play right this second, then I'm going to play it. But like when I went back in, I was like, "Oh, like I'm, I'm over this. Uh, I don't have. I'm not up for it anymore." And I have the feeling if I go back for the uh, Ghost of Tsushima DLC, that would happen too. Who knows? I ended up going back and playing Control all the way back through again just because it was on PS5. I really liked it on PS4, and I just wanted to. It was just it was just so much better in 60 frames per second. <laughs> I think it had adapt it had adapted triggers as well, which was really cool. Um, the DLC wasn't really you weren't really missing much if you never yeah. played Alan Wake. The Alan right. Wake stuff was cool um, if you played Alan Wake, but if you had no idea what was going on, it was yeah. That might have been part of it too because I never played Alan Wake, so.
Um, okay, let's get into our final thoughts about Ghost of Tsushima. And uh, just kind of in summary, your uh, your final thoughts about the game as a whole. So we'll start with Aaron. Uh, what do you got? I, I, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, you know, two episodes in a row. But again, another 10 out of 10 game. This is why you asked me to be on the episode, man, because you knew how much I love the game. Uh, the, the, biggest, uh, the, the two biggest selling points I can give it, one, the battle system is a lot of fun, no matter how much I shit on it for being easy, no matter how much we've talked about how it can be sort of repetitive. It's some of the best or some of the most fun battling that you can do. Um, and another thing that I hit on a little bit earlier, the little attentions to detail uh, are just as impressive as the larger attentions to detail. You have these epic ass battle moments you have great music the fighting is a whole lot of fun but then like i said if you want to like chill and like write a haiku or play your flute like you you can do those too and they're they're like they they put the same amount of care into those little tiny things uh that they did into the bigger things which is something a lot of triple a titles i feel like do not do so uh just my final thought like if if, if you like a if you like video games, you should play it because it's one of those ones that general consensus is everybody loves it. Right on. Uh, Ryan, how do you feel? As for me, uh, yeah, it was, I'd give it a 9 out of 10. It was uh, one of the, and for me, it takes me a lot out of me to just finish a game. And it takes even more out of me to 100% a game. And I got close to 100%. I didn't do the multiplayer stuff, but I did everything I could possibly do in the single player game. And that's super rare for me, super rare. So I thought a lot about this game. I felt uh, it was a great game overall. I love the narrative, uh, the storytelling, uh, the cinematography was great. They had a wonderful director of photography that framed all the shots and uh, just the atmosphere was amazing. Um, it, it, infuses me with a certain i don't know certain feeling of yeah uh medieval japan was badass basically you know like look it's, it was beautiful but it was brutal uh there's a lot of juxtaposition between beauty and just grittiness and yeah overall i, I picked it up for 40 bucks and it was well worth every every dollar i spent on it um yeah great game right yeah um i I'm with you guys. I mean, there's there's a reason that I wanted to talk about this so early on in this uh, in this podcast's lifetime. Um, I think that I had been getting a little bit of open world fatigue, or maybe not even that. Is maybe just like I played a couple of like really really excellent open world games, and then I played a few that were just not up to par. Um, I, I mentioned Assassin's Creed Odyssey earlier as one of those that I think is not up to par. And so I was a little bit wary about Ghost of Tsushima, but it, I think Ghost of Tsushima is good. It stands out in the genre for the reasons we talked about. If you're into open world games at all, um, and you're sick of the like clearing off the checklist nature of them, I think that Ghost of Tsushima doesn't, eliminate that entirely uh, it's still an open world game with the tropes that are associated but it it hides them pretty well and all of that like all of those little things they do to hide that stuff goes a long way into like uh, giving you immersion and you have such a beautiful world that they've constructed they really want you to be immersed in that world and I think they do a pretty damn good job of that um, the story is uh, good enough 
I, I don't think it's like a groundbreaking story, but it, it is pretty good. I was into it when I was playing. Um, the side quests are quality, which is something that's really important in a big open world game. And we didn't really talk about this a ton, but the world itself is big, but it's not daunting. Um, I, I mean, I hate to bring up Assassin's Creed, but those games are so goddamn big um, and it's unwieldy, in my opinion, and Ghost of Tsushima is a pretty uh, manageable open world. It feels big, but it's not unwieldy. So, yeah, um, really, really good open world game. Um, I enjoyed it a ton. I think I bought it around the $40 price and absolutely worth it. Um, I'm not really a dollars per hour type person, so, I mean, it fits on that axis too, but it's also just a really, really good experience. And I feel like a lot of people, I feel like this game kind of came and went, um, even though there weren't a lot of games that released, uh, a lot of like really good first party games that released uh, last year or, you know, this year because of the pandemic and stuff. I really feel like this game is good enough that if you are, considering it but you're worried about yeah another checklist open world game or something like that i think that it's good enough uh to get past all of that stuff so those are my final thoughts about ghost of tsushima um we're going to uh do a little housekeeping here before the spoiler wall so um everyone who hasn't played ghost of tsushima and wants to avoid spoilers thank you for listening um Please uh, do not go any further. We're going to get into spoiler territory. Uh, so thank you for listening. If you would like to support this show, please uh, subscribe, leave ratings and reviews if you can, and spread the good word. Check out our social media pages that uh, I'll put links to in the episode description. Uh, Aaron and I also do a podcast called A Top 3 Podcast, where each week we pick a topic and talk about our top threes in that topic. Uh, that podcast is a lot of fun, so check us out if uh, you're interested in that. Uh, Ryan, you got anything you're working on that you want the people to know about? Yeah, I've been brainstorming a gaming podcast that has kind of a unique perspective, but uh, you know, my brain's all over the place. Maybe it'll come <laughs> to fruition sometime, but uh, as for right now, just keeping busy and uh, thanks for having me on. Anytime you want to have me on, please do. Hell yeah. Well, uh, if you get that podcast figured out, we'll shout you out for sure. And uh, yeah, good to have you on, man. I mean, we're going to keep talking, but for right. those who are going to stop listening <laughs> now, um, thank you for listening. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will come back with spoilers. Spoiler time. So time to talk about some story moments, um, I guess, that really uh, affected us. So Aaron's, you got one that you almost exploded trying to hold in the whole time. So what do you got? <laughs> no, because there were like three or four. So it's 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 when his horse dies, right? Like, and uh, I don't, it has a name. I don't, I don't remember the horse's name. You get name. to pick the name. You get to pick the name. Cool, cool. Yeah, they give you like a list. Okay, that's right. That's right. Uh, but like that scene after you get out of a uh, act two and you're you you go into the new land and as you're escaping or whatever they fill your horse full of arrows and then your horse dies 
Like, right. So you have this whole scene where you have to like, where you bury your horse and it's always there. They even mark it on your map, yeah. like the area that your horse is buried. Um, and, you know, talking about the flute thing, like, again, without trying to be like silly or anything, like before I finished the game, I went back to the horse's grave and that's where I sat and I read all my haiku and that's where I sat and played the flute and I changed the weather. Like, cause I just really felt like your horse is so important <laughs> in that game. And they yeah. really have a, they, they even in like the little side pieces where you're like leaving a hot springs or uh, a scene is over, you like get up and your horse is just like, all right, cool. Let's fucking roll dog. Like, you know, like that, that thing was your best friend and the most reliable, like, character to you in the entire game so when he died like to me that's like up tops with like you know eris dying in final fantasy 7 like kind <laughs> of impact where you're just like oh shit something i've been with the whole game that i never even really thought about had but because you can jump off cliffs with that fucking thing and it lives dude and like a couple of arrows take it down uh and i remember being very annoying for a while until you got like your next horse but i just i really wanted to say that one, one of the main reasons that it was so bad like i said I, I went back i read my haikus i played the flute and i went and i killed the fucking bad guy and beat the game dude that horse was the best character in the game aside from Jin. But I'll, I'll shut up. I just wanted to talk about that. I was I was about to explode. Yeah, it reminded me of a movie from when I was a kid, Neverending Story. You guys ever watched that? The, the oh, hell yeah. When, when Atreyu loses his horse yeah, in the swamp. Artax, yeah. yeah this, he's carrying him through the swamp, and uh, the damn horse dies, man. That was fucking traumatic for me. So I it's, had kind of the same old yeller shit, dude. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, your, it's sure. your best friend. It's your confidant. Yeah. He's seen right. naked, like right, and he does not judge you. You know, like he's he he is your boy, and he's down to ride no matter what. And it's just it's so sad when he dies, man. You got to yeah. bury him. It's so fucked up. There's yeah, for sure. There's a uh, you know I'm not going to spoil the other games that I'm thinking of uh, for people listening, but like there's a a, a okay. lot of games where you get a horse, and that horse is like your best buddy, like um and. Not every time, but sometimes that horse dies, and it's always a super impactful part. Uh, right. In this game, it totally was too. Um, this game had a lot of like really heavy story moments, like um, when you you're doing this side quest with Norio, uh, who's the warrior monk, and you're trying to find his brother, and you like you get to the camp where the Mongols are holding his brother, and they've like cut off his arms and legs, and they're like keeping him alive to like try and provoke oh, you. Oh shit, into, like, dude! I remember shit. that. And I, I like I rolled in there. I was like, holy shit! Like I, you know, I expect this from like some other games, <laughs> but I did not expect this from uh, from Ghost of Tsushima to to go so just like brutal torture, like dark. That. Yeah, Ooh, man, you're right. I've completely yeah. forgot about that shit. That's that was weird. That was like completely out of place in the game, too. Like there was nothing up to that point that was that fucked up. And then all of a sudden you're just looking at stubby like I don't know what to tell you. There was I mean, there was some stuff that was pretty messed up, but that was definitely like an escalation because um, they're I get I think they're, if I remember right, they're trying to like they're trying to like break the warrior monk. They're trying to get him to like, you know, basically just mentally break and this is like the final step they take yeah i had a similar impactful moment whenever the uh, khan they want you to kill the brother taka yuna's brother taka yeah right and he's like you gotta kill him and then yuna comes back like hey where's my brother at you know where's he at is he doing okay and then she yeah. goes and finds him <laughs> dead and she goes into berserk mode man was, that was another impactful scene for me for sure what happens with taka is you um 
you, you're both prisoner. And he says, like, uh, he gives Taka a, a knife and he says, like, we'll let you go if you kill Jin. And uh, Taka, like, turns around and tries to attack the Khan and the Khan just fucking cuts his head off. And shows it to you, man. Like, drops it at your feet. Holy yeah. fuck. I first, Super bro, brutal. It's all coming back now. Oh, shit. Yeah. That, I mean, that's the kind of violence I was expecting from this game. I was not expecting, like, this dude to be, like, dismembered and kept alive with no arms and legs uh, to basically just fuck with your mind. So you you have these side quests in here with um, with Yuna, uh, who's the thief, uh, Taka, who we just talked about, uh, Lady Masako, the warrior, uh, Sensei Ishikawa, the archery master, who's voiced by uh, Pierre Chang from Lost, uh, Yuriko, who's the old woman uh, who took care of Jin when he was a baby, uh, Kenji, who's the sake salesman, uh, con artist, like comic relief guy, uh, Norio, the monk, and then uh, Ryuzo, who's the uh, childhood friend of Jin, the straw hat uh, Ronin. Um, any of their side quests really stick out to you guys uh, before Masako, I tell you mine? Yeah, Masako was, uh, it was tragic, right? Her whole family got killed right. off and she's just like looking for vengeance. You know, she's like, you don't have to convince her too much to join you. I liked, I liked most of them really. It felt like a, kind of like a Ocean's Eleven or Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure vibe. You know, you got to go out and you have to find everybody and convince them to join you on your, mm-hmm. your quest to overcome your issues. So it had kind of a, a vibe, just like, you know, go out and convince these people to help you. You got to help them do something. They'll scratch, you scratch their back, they'll scratch yours. And I really enjoyed it. Kinji was obviously, uh, you know, he was there for comic relief. He had some funny quests. I really, one that sticks out the most is uh, they put you in a sake barrel and you have to go ambush people after right. <laughs> being transported in a sake barrel. Uh like I said, Norio, I forgot about that quest with the dismemberment, but now it's all back. But Norio was kind of, he was kind of boring to me, really. Uh, Ryu, Ryozo was cool because Ronins are badass. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I rolled the whole game with that giant straw hat. Like the minute yeah. I got that straw hat at the beginning of the game, it was the only thing I wore. Same in the multiplayer, just the straw hats. That thing was cool as fuck to me. Yeah, they look yeah. so cute. Look at them with their cute little hats on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> look at him moving. <laughs> Look at him stabbing me through the heart. Uh, <laughs> that's blood. <laughs> yeah, I did like the different costumes. We didn't talk about that, but he, uh, there were certain like hats, you know, like the weird straw hats that cover your face. Yeah, that, like made the <laughs> there's made... like a pot. <laughs> You're just wearing a pot on your head. Yeah, some of them make. Head. Yeah, some of them make the cutscenes you know, a little. They take they take you out of it. They're a little less immersive when you wear these. You know, pot on your head or like. Uh, <laughs> Genesis underwear, like uh, you know, having a conversation about you know taking over the castle. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty silly. It gets it gets pretty silly. So I had to. I don't know. I did it. I did it for a while where I was just dressed up ridiculous for the cutscenes. But you know, it's a little too silly for me. Got a little too too wacky. My favorite one of the side quests is the one with Ishikawa, the archery master, um, trying to find his uh, his his student that kind of rebelled against him and is now working with the Mongols. Uh, the reason I remember that quest the most is because it's set up in a way where for most of the quest, you're not sure if you can trust Ishikawa. Uh, they sow like seeds of doubt really, really well. And it's only until like the last couple of, I think his quest is like nine quests long or something like that. 
and it's only until like the last one where you're actually like oh yeah okay this guy is actually on my side I can trust him because he's kind of an asshole and he's really like combative whenever you press him on details of like why did your student run away is it because you're a bad person yeah wasn't he like was he like uh one of uh Jin's like trainers when he was younger and he was like dishonored or something like that there because they 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 set that up really they set that up really early in the beginning of the game like you're right where you're just like oh okay what's up dude yeah I, 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 i can't remember exactly why but i think he was like if he was like kicked out or he's like a friend of your uncle and he's not his friend anymore so something like that He's definitely living like a, a solitary uh, lifestyle. I don't remember the exact details about um, why, but yeah, they, they do a good job of basically like throughout the first half of his quest, you're you're like, I mean, I'm going to go with you because the game is making me go with you, but you're definitely like expecting him to double cross you. And he actually- I'm Keeping he, my eye on you, bro. Yeah. He actually does double cross you a few times, um, not- in like small ways he'll like lie to you about something small and that sows those seeds of doubt really well yeah i think he was one of the more enjoyable uh quest lines for sure uh ryuzo was obviously pretty good too I really yeah enjoyed ryuzo stuff uh i mean there's some super uh, obvious animosity between them from the beginning you know they're childhood friends and they were in a tournament and i don't know his uncle picked Jin instead of ryuzo for something and yeah, Rizzo eh. wants to be a samurai, but uh, Jin got picked instead of him. And right. so that resentment builds. And like, I thought when he turns on you in the story and you have to duel him the first time, that was a nice moment. And then you have to duel him again and you end up killing him at the end. You're like, Jesus Christ, like this. He is crazy. Yeah, All right. for sure. He, he's been holding on to that for a while. Yeah, and the one thing you talked about, Ryan, uh, what, what I think, uh, I, I at least think the most impact, and trying to say her name right, Masako, is that how you say it? Yeah. The, she Lady, is Lady kind Masako. of like, yeah, so she is kind of like the catalyst to Jin's character doing these, you know, non-samurai things. Like, she's the one that's like, no, 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 fuck you, Jin. Like, if you're not down to ride, I'm going to go do this myself no matter what. So either you're yeah. helping me or you're not. Like, and uh, if you're going to help me, we're doing it the dirty way. And I, I think that does kind of like lead or leak into the actual game where you're like, well, fuck, that worked out when I did it with her. Might as well poison everybody in this place. Like, you know, like they, you have that whole mission where you have to break into their camp and like poison their food, which was the most annoying mission in the whole fucking game, by the way. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think she was kind of like that catalyst uh, for Jin becoming that kind of uh, that kind of warrior. And they do a really good job with the side quest of not necessarily changing Jin, but making their way, leaking their way into the main story. Especially like whenever you're doing the end of a uh, end of an act, and they all show up to help you fight. You're like, hell yeah, let's go. Yeah, it's my crew. It's actually yes, um, my crew, dude. It's actually Yuna, the thief, that like first teaches Jin how to stealth kill and like breaks through his initial like uh, apprehension right. towards fighting that way. But yeah, uh, Lady Masako is basically like, I'm gonna go kill this camp of Mongols all by myself. You can come with me if you <laughs> want to, but I'm going. Yeah, right. She's on a she's on a path for vengeance. I really yeah. enjoyed her character. She was probably one of the more memorable. Yuna was okay. Um, she's obviously the first one you meet because she saves you from the beach battle. Right. 
And yeah, like you said, she probably has the most influence on you, just poisoning shit and fighting dirty. But yeah, it took me a while to you know jump on board with that. The fighting, well, it took me a while to get over you know losing my honor because they just make you feel bad for it. But uh, yeah, it really tied into the story pretty well. And I think they handle it pretty well, except I don't, I don't really like how they're like at the end they're basically like this is Yuna's fault. This is all hers. Is that damn woman? It's her right. fault. I don't really like that part of yeah, it. Yeah, but... all the other characters are shitting on her the whole time. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're just like, ah, oh, you trust this thief? She's a thief. Yeah, and it's like, yo, I was the one who fucking poisoned the entire Mongol camp. Like, I did that. That wasn't her, you know. That was Jin. So, I don't know that 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 part was one that I I wasn't a big fan of, but um, overall, I think they handled that like honor versus like actual effective combat techniques i thought they handled that pretty well um why don't we talk about how that story uh concludes um after you take down the con uh you have to you have a confrontation with your uncle who is still even though your techniques have um your techniques have saved japan basically uh, your uncle is still like, nah, you did not do this the right way. And you have to have a confrontation with him. So um, how did you guys handle that final duel with your uncle? Yeah, it's really cool because uh, he's like, hey, some some shogun or like I, it might have even been like the emperor of Japan, like is like, hey, dude, I have to kill you. And like my honor as a samurai means no matter that you're my nephew or whatever, like I had to kill you, get ready to fight. And it's actually mm-hmm. a really crazy like boss fight after an end boss fight. So I guess the question you're asking, Dave, is so uh, so basically after the fight's over and you beat him, you get this decision. You could either kill him or you can let him go. And that's how the game ends. And the uh, whatever your decision is, like it influences how the world works or how the world looks during the ending of the game uh, i i don't know which one's which but like sometimes like uh, depending on what you pick like it's either like a brighter more flowery uh island or it's either like a or a darker more desolate island so if the question you're asking is did you kill your uncle or did you let him go yeah. i let him go I, I i didn't kill him like i just felt like it was very against Jin. I, I feel like it was not very Jin like to kill him i feel like if he killed him that would be the honor thing that like at least the way i played him i had spent the entire game like avoiding it, it to me killing him didn't make sense but everybody like it, it's not like oh hey a bunch of people do this and very little people do this like people i've talked to that played it it's like down the board 50 50 whether they did it i did not kill him i just didn't feel like it was within i didn't feel like it made sense with Jin's character to kill him i feel like i spent the whole game you know fighting this like you know honor versus not uh that like if i was going to be honorable on one occasion i feel like this is the most honorable i could be which is to not kill him interesting ryan what'd you do i did the same thing as aaron i didn't kill him i spared him uh Damn. well he was cut yeah he kind of annoyed me earlier and uh, i didn't <laughs> want to give him that dignity uh he's hit me with all the samurai business for half the game saying oh you got to be honorable you're dishonorable Jin." So I was like, oh, I'll show you dishonorable. I'll let you kill yourself, <laughs> asshole. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's A lot of that backstory I found kind of cheesy in general. I didn't really like the flashbacks too much when they flash back to uh, Jim being young and getting beat up and shit. You know, it's so, it's so cheesy to me. Mm. Uh, so I don't know. The 
over the story arc with his uncle, I don't know. It was it was cool in a lot of ways, but it was probably one of the least impactful arcs. And it was almost predictable, right? It was pretty predictable. Uh, that that fight was completely predictable. Because he's he's against you the entire time, even right. though you Jin is the is the sole reason that you're making progress against the Mongols. Um, the the samurai are just getting like just crushed every time they try to do their honorable thing, and uh, Jin's way is the only way that's working. Um, so yeah, it was kind of predictable that he wasn't just going to be like, "Oh, you killed the Khan. Cool, I take back everything I said." So I did kill him at the end. I do it. I do it. I didn't even remember. I I, I was like Dave. I was gonna be like Dave. Let me guess. No, I knew you killed him. Yeah. He's so such a bastard. I I like this because there's no like there's no happy ending. Either you let him go, and it's like he's he's still gonna come after you. Um, you know, after the story ends, uh, he's he's still gonna try to kill you, and he has to live with like this dishonorable way that he survived or you kill him and Jin has to live with that the rest of his life. I like these like two bad and bad choices that you have to make. Like there's no like, Oh yes, this is clearly the best thing. Uh, so I killed him because he asked me to, he asked politely and I was like, this will be like, if Jin's going to become like this ghost and just live his whole life like this. Now, this is like one act of, uh, like honor and mercy that he can do. And it's, I don't know if you guys, you should go watch this on YouTube if you haven't, because when Jin does kill him, it's so cathartic. Like the tension is really high and he stabs him and he like, he does this like primal scream, like he's just broken by what he's done. Uh, and it's like framed with the red leaves from the tree and everything like that. It's just a really beautiful scene. And yeah, I had to do that. And after I did that, because uh, you get the credits, but then you you take over as Jin again. Uh, he has like a hideout in the mountains. After I did that, I was so like pumped up, like not like excited about what I'd done, but you know, like okay, I'm the ghost now. Like I was so into that. I actually went through and cleared out the entire map of Mongol camps, like every last one of them. It took like four more hours of fighting, and it was just so much fun. Um. Did you guys like keep playing after you get uh after the credits roll basically and you have like free reign over the island? Yeah, same as me. I I went through and I cleared everything out. I like I said I was trying to get 100%. I was trying to get that platinum trophy. I couldn't get it because of multiplayer, but uh yeah, I went through and found all the stupid haikus and all the foxes and gold birds and whatnot. Um all the uh what are those sword training Stands. Oh, the, the bamboo strike things. Right, those are right, so dude. cool. <laughs> I loved those. Yeah, it's another... I don't, I don't really care for rhythm or the quick time events, so this is one of the more annoying things for me, really. But, um, yeah, I went through and spent another uh, five hours or so getting everything, yeah. collecting all the, uh, the little trinkets and whatnot. I had literally done everything in the game to 100% and saved the last quest uh, for uh, my 100% completion. So I got that trophy for beating the game and the trophy for 100% completion as okay. soon as I beat it. Yeah, so it was kind of like to me, I was like, okay, if I'm going to end the game, I'm going to end the game. So I, di I didn't go back and play through it because I would pretty much already done 
everything. Uh, I didn't collect all like the Mongol notes and stuff because there wasn't an achievement for it. And I actually thought that was super duper fucking annoying having to find those things. Um, yeah. But yeah, by, by when I had beaten the game, that was it. Finale, 100%. I'm done. Yeah. I like... I'm not a completion person and I, I normally would just turn off the game after the credits. Um, like I'm not going to go back and just, you know, collect stuff or clear out camps, but like I don't, just the way that the game ended and like the emotion attached to it uh, with my ending was so like high that I was like, I can't stop playing now. I got to go. I got to finish what I started. So I went and cleared the stuff. I didn't do all the haikus or get the foxes or collect all the Mongol artifacts or anything like that, but uh, I did play for a while. Uh, we kind of skipped over the um, the main quest with the Mongols, uh, which I you know I think it's fine. Um, I, I think that it's cool that you have. I, I first of all I like when you. Uh, you fight the final boss at the beginning of the game and he's like super difficult um, and he throws you off the bridge and then you remember that the whole game. You're just waiting for your next chance. And then uh, when I did fight the Khan at the end, I just completely destroyed him because I was really good at the duels by then. Um, I thought the final boss fight was super weird. Like you're on a boat, you fight the Khan and then he runs to a boat. And you have to like follow him around and fight him and it's not a duel and there's a bunch of ads on the on the screen and I thought it was a really stupid way to like finish the final boss fight. Yeah, I agree with you. It was super anticlimactic for me. I really didn't enjoy that as much as I thought I would. It wasn't as uh cathartic to kill him as I was hoping because it was just it was just chaotic. It was like some of those different uh the castle takeover missions and whatnot it was just there's so much going on on the screen at one time i was hoping for a duel where it's you know chill and i'm focusing on my my button presses rather than jump jump throw a grenade jump uh kill that guy kill that ad yeah it was it was just a bit too chaotic it wasn't uh it wasn't like the actual last boss which is your uncle right where it's like uh, everything's just chilled out you got the wind blowing it's just too much going on uh the first fight with him was okay i think the the duel fight, but the second fight on the boat was the. Well, you do get a you do get a duel with him at the end, but before you kill him, he runs away onto the boat, which I guess like thematically makes sense because he's not you know an honorable duel person. Like that's not what he believes in. So why would he stay in a duel and just let you kill him like that? He's gonna go cheat and get an advantage some other way. But as a player. And as a conclusion to the story uh, with the con, I thought it was pretty lame. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, but overall, those missions taken over, we didn't talk about the castle missions at all, but I really enjoyed uh, taking over the castles, except for one thing is shooting those, uh, the machine, the, tur- the turrets were god awful. Oh, against the boats. Shooting the boats, you mean? the boats was awful. Oh. Yeah. It felt like, uh, it felt like they're, you know, they're like, we need another game mode or we need like a mini game or something in here to break it up uh what can we do and it's like oh we can do this weird kind of half-assed tower defense where you're shooting uh, right it was just so out of place you're just on a turret you know turret sections in games often feel like gamey like in a bad way you know and yeah i thought it was cool to shoot boats with but like you know how would 
a rack of arrows basically take down a boat. It, it just felt very kind of shoehorned in, like get to the turret and take out, you know, you're going to shoot down an entire fleet of boats with this thing. It just kind of felt kind of weird to me. Well, yeah, even when you were using them against people as well, uh, after you take over one of the castles, you use those little turrets as well. It was still, it just kind of can't be used. And it felt out of place for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I can agree with that. But overall, uh, the combat was pretty much fun. Pretty fun, pretty fun. Um, yeah. The boss, the boss fights were cool. Uh, there wasn't, there wasn't any dragons or anything like that to fight, which keeps you immersed in the game. Yeah, uh, I don't. There's, there's only one story that I remember that gets into like anything mythological, uh, where you think you're fighting against, um, you know, a ghost or something like that. But it, it's all really grounded in reality because it's not actually a ghost that you're fighting. It's just like a dude who. Um, is pretending to be a ghost and yeah I dig that I it happens in some games where you're playing uh, and you're you know you're just fighting human enemies the entire game and it's like surprise you gotta here's a dragon you gotta fight this by the way dragons are real uh, and right. that never really happened in this game so that's yeah, pretty cool. And they kept like all the techniques and the movement uh, realistic. You know, like a game like Yakuza or something where they're doing flips and their hands are on fire and stuff. So they kept it all pretty grounded in reality uh, compared to other games in the genre and compared to, you know, games in general. Yeah. Uh, which was a very likable point of the game for sure. Yeah, for sure. Good call. Uh, any other like uh thoughts about story moments or anything like that nah man i I was just really fucked up about that horse like that is the one thing that (laughs) stuck with me the like the flute thing the frog thing and the horse dying like but if if we're sticking to a just storyline yeah that that like i said it's 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 up there with all time like saddest video game deaths to me like if i carry anything with that you know, 20 years from now with me. It, it, like if somebody's like, Hey, did you ever play ghost of Tsushima? My answer is me like, Oh fuck. I forgot about his horse dying. That was so sad. <laughs> like, you know, like, like it's like you said earlier, Dave, like the story's not great. It's everything we've seen in any samurai movie or any Western movie. Like it's the exact same premise plot. The dialogue is absolutely wonderful. Uh, Jin is a great protagonist for a lot of different reasons. Um, but, and you know, I wasn't really that fucked up by the end fight. I was actually kind of like cool with it being chaotic and me being able to use my grenades and stuff because I was done with duels by the time. I was actually pissed off that I had to do my uncle. I was like, God damn, not another oh, fucking dude. duel. Yeah, I, I I was done with them. Those that shit was hard as fuck on lethal. Like I was getting annoyed, but well, that, uh, that sounds like a you problem, not a game problem. Yes, correct. Hey, <laughs> I, I I I I did beat it. All right, I spent sixty dollars, bro. I beat that game. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I I also felt like the ending was pretty anticlimactic. I'm 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 actually glad they brought the uncle thing back because killing the con didn't give me closure. Making things you know, right with my uncle is what gave me, you know, closure to Jin's character. Cause you know, they're, you're going to, he's going to kill the bad guy, but you don't know what's going to happen with the relationship with the man who raised him, you know? Right. You have that storyline where uh, your uncle is preparing to like legally adopt you. And you know, the like medieval politics, like he, he's going to like legitimize you in some way. He's going to adopt you into his family. And that's apparently it's a big deal in the story. And uh, after you poison 
the Mongol camp, uh, he takes that away and he says like, yeah, I, we're not doing this anymore. You're no son of mine. It's like a, a you know, a moment like that. Um, and those moments, they were, they were pretty good, you know, not just those moments never hit me as hard as, uh, more, uh, like softer character based stuff until the very end, uh, when I killed the uncle, that was like extremely affecting for me. Yeah, I can agree with that. I kind of found that pretty cheesy as well. The uh, whole, I'm going to adopt you, son. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to welcome you to the family. Yeah, we'll go. You've, you've earned it. Yeah, we'll and go then, out by the ginkgo tree. We'll we'll play some catch. Uh, play the, yeah, let's get that flute going, get the frogs there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so cheesy. Good uh, point. <laughs> it's so cheesy. And then when he says, you're not my son anymore, it just it felt, I don't know. That was, like, to me, the uncle storyline, that arc was just the weakest it was um i don't know i just found it so cheesy and like i said the flashbacks i just couldn't stand some of the flashback scenes i couldn't yeah. wait for them to be over i actually do think that they like so your uncle's like against you the whole time with your um you, you know with your methods and i think that they did a good job of making you get annoyed with him the same way that Jin is um I mean, it, I mean, it's obvious that he's wrong, that his methods don't work and that Jin's methods are the ones that do. And, you know, I, I just think like if this wasn't, I can see a version of this game where the uncle is just super fucking annoying and you have no affection for him at all because he's wrong. But that wasn't what I got. I got some like affection for him and that's what made the ending so cathartic. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about that. Yeah, I wasn't really connected to the uncle as much as I should have been, probably. Yeah, he wasn't like, you know, feeling like an actual father figure to me, but I did feel some connection, so. Um, all right, what do you guys say we wrap this up? I think we've talked about uh, the story, and if no one has anything else, uh, we can wrap this up. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having well, me on. Yeah, Good to have you yeah, on, dude. man. Awesome insight. I feel like I feel like you and Dave were like very articulate in like getting your thoughts across. And it would come to me, I'm like, hey, you remember how you could blow people up with grenades and stuff? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that flute like, bro. You, you, yeah. Hey, you remember how you could play a flute? There were frogs and stuff. So it, it was it was you were really insightful, right? You you, you brought a lot. I, I was yeah. like, it was a lot of fun doing this, man. Yeah, thank you for having me on again. Uh any anytime. Anytime. All right, uh, anyone who's stuck it out this far, thank you for listening. And uh, if you, uh, it, when we post the episode, you can let us know how you feel about Ghost of Tsushima. Does it? Uh, do you think it deserves the praise that we uh, heaped on it? I know we we talked about a few minor quibbles with it, but we're all extremely positive on the game. So let us know uh, when we post the episode. Uh, get on the social media and uh, let us know how you feel. So thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time.
忘れ難事安らかに眠れ。